0: The following audio is from Pathway Community Church. More information about Pathway Community Church is available at www.pathwaycommunity church.org. Well, there are some famous people that were asked this question they were asked, how do you want to be remembered after you die? And here are a few of the responses that they gave. Walter Payton, when he was alive, said this. He said, I want to be remembered as the guy who gave it his all on the football field. How about Harry Potter? The author of the Harry Potter series, J.K. Rowling, she was asked that question, and she said this. I want to be remembered as someone who did the best she could with the talent she had. Or actress Lindsay Lohan She was asked this question. She said, well, I want to be remembered for the work I've done rather than the car accidents that I've had or the men that I didn't date or the men that I did date. Okay, Lindsay. Well, how about you this morning? How do you want people to remember you after you die? This morning, we're continuing our series called Hope Resurrected. We started that back on Easter. Seems like Easter was a long time ago, doesn't it? And and we saw that the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead gives us, as his people, those that are trusting in him, it gives us a living hope, a hope that is alive in us because of Jesus and his resurrection. And so we've been looking at how that works itself out in us, and we're going through the book of Acts. And so this morning we're going to look at Acts chapter 6 and 7, a great story there, an amazing story. It's the life uh, of Stephen, and we're going to see Stephen and learn from him today. And he's a follower of Jesus, and we're going to find out how Stephen is remembered after he dies, what's recorded about him what the Bible says about him and his life. And then we're going to look at, uh, and I'm going to propose that that how he's remembered is also how we should want to be remembered as Christ followers. And we're going to look at another passage, Ephesians 5.18, and I'm going to show us why this is the best thing to be remembered as and then how that's possible for us today. All right, you ready? All right, we're looking at Acts chapter 6. And so if you have your Bible, you can turn there. And we're going to look at this story of Stephen that starts in Acts 6 through Acts 7. In Acts chapter 6, the church is growing I mean, we had the, the day of Pentecost, and many thousands came to Christ in, and, and the church continued to grow, and then the healing of this man who was lame from birth. And, and they tell him it's because of Jesus, and the church continues to grow in advance. And, and so the church is growing, and more and more people are becoming followers. And, and then this dispute arose in the church. There are Greek Christians and there are Jewish Christians. And there's this dispute that's going on because they they were feeding people with with the resources they had. They were helping people, especially in the church and the widows in the church. They were helping to feed these widows. And it seems that what's going on is that the Jewish widows, the Jewish Christian widows were being fed, but the Greek Christian widows were being overlooked or weren't being fed in the same way. And so the Greek Christians start to complain about this and like, hey, we're not, they're not getting fed the same way. I mean, Can you believe that people actually complain about things in the church? So the 12 apostles, they get together and they say, okay, what are we going to do about this? Because we need to be able to keep preaching the word of God. We can't wait tables. And so they said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to appoint seven men, spiritually qualified men. And we're going to ask them to take care of this responsibility to make sure everyone's being fed equally so that we can devote ourselves to prayer and to preaching of the word. So that's what they do. They choose seven, and one of the seven that they choose is a man by the name of Stephen. And so they lay hands on these individuals, they pray for them, they commission them, and they become the first deacons, right? We have deacon and deaconesses in our church. They, they become the first deacons. The, de, the word deacon means servants. They're, they're there to serve. And so, look, the church grows and and the good news about Jesus continues to go out. And and it says even the priest, the Jewish priests, begin to believe in Jesus and follow him. Stephen's doing great signs and wonders. And, And not just for the sake of, hey, look what I can do. But he performs these miraculous signs just like Peter and John did. So they can point to look what Jesus did and let us tell you about Jesus. So more people can follow Jesus. And so Stephen's performing miraculous signs and wonders. And anyhow, the the leaders of the synagogue, they're kicked off with Stephen. They can't stand the wisdom and the power by which he speaks. And and so they start to spread these false charges against Stephen. and, And they say, well, he's blaspheming against the temple and against Uh, The law of Moses and we heard him say that Jesus would destroy the temple and we heard him say that Jesus is going to change the law of Moses. And So the leaders of the synagogue are upset with him and they're making these false charges and I don't know about you, but if I was being falsely accused of something, I think I'd be a bit upset about that, right? I think my face might even show that I'm a little angry little ticked off by, by being falsely accused. But look what it says here. It says, Stephen, you know, they're, they're making these false charges against him, but then they said his face was like a, the face of an angel. Like he radiated the glory of God in the midst of being falsely accused. So the high priest questions Stephen and says, are these things true? are these charges they're making against you true and so Stephen launches in in Acts chapter 7 to this this sermon it's almost a whole chapter long and and he's there's really two main themes of his message he's addressing these false accusations the first he starts out and he says you know he look at Abraham and Joseph and Moses and and King David and King Solomon and he he goes through all those people and he says his point is that throughout the history of God's people, God has always desired to dwell with his people, to tabernacle with them. Like God's not been limited to just being in a building, you know, because here's what happened that over time. The Israelites, the Jewish people, they, they said, well, God's in the temple. That's where you meet with God and, and that's it. So the building becomes everything. And he's saying, no, it's not about the building. God's desire is to dwell with his people anywhere, anytime, place, And that's still his purpose today. You know, I think that's a good reminder for us in this uh, time of sheltering in place and COVID-19. You know, listen, the building is a great tool and having this space is a great tool. But the building isn't where we meet with God. God Meets with us, his people anywhere, any place, in fact, this morning he 's with us right where we 're at in your home, as you gather to worship him, as we gather to meet with him. He is present with us he is in our midst i mean that's that 's the good news of why Jesus came and died and rose again and ascended, so that his presence could be with us anytime, anywhere, any place, and he wants to meet with you this morning he 's there in our midst this morning. Moses is reminding them of uh, that's what's true about God. But here's the second thing he says. They're they're accusing him of rejecting the law of Moses, trying to change the law of Moses. And he says, listen, listen. let me just recount history for you. Let's go back and look at the history of Israel and, and, and you'll see how Israel rejected the law of Moses. They disobeyed the law of Moses again and again and again. And see, he says, Jesus came not to... To destroy the temple. He didn't come to change the law of Moses. He came to fulfill the temple. Fulfill the law of Moses. Because Jesus is the Messiah. And all the prophets pointed to that. But then he looks right at these these Jewish leaders. And he says, you stiff-necked people. You stubborn people. You uncircumcised people. I'm like, you just have to understand how serious this was, I mean, to be circumcised as a Jew, like that was everything, like your identity was tied to this, and he 's saying like you don 't get it you 're blind spiritually, you have dull ears you can't you haven 't heard what god 's been saying to you throughout these generations. And to the point where you reject Jesus as the Messiah that the prophets were pointing to, and you even were part of having him crucified. I mean, wow, it was tense. You could feel the tension in the room. They are ticked off. They grind their teeth at him, it says. They're just so enraged. They're so angry at Stephen and what he's saying. But, but it says, Stephen gazed into heaven while this is happening. And he could see God the Father. And he could see Jesus the Son standing at his right hand. And he's gazing into heaven as they're doing this. But, but they act like little kids. It says, it's like they plug their ears. You know, you know how when you're a kid and your parents and you and know, you plug your ear and you're like, nah no, 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 I'm not going to listen to you. That's what they're doing. They don't want to hear anymore more of what Stephen has to say. And so it says they cast him out of the city. And they tie him up. And they start to throw stones at him to stone him to death. By the way, it says there's a man there by the name of Saul who's overseeing this. Who's responsible for the stoning of Stephen. We're going to hear more about that man next week. But Stephen, in the midst of being stoned to death, called out to Jesus and says, Jesus, receive my spirit. And, and then he says this. I'm, this blows me away. He, he falls to the ground. He yells out in a loud voice. And he says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Forgive them. And then he falls asleep, or it means he dies. What? How in the world can he do these things? I mean, like, I'm like, what? How does he do this? Well, if you look at this story, there's four times in these two chapters where it says, Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit. Look, in Acts chapter 6, verse 3, it says, Brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute who are full of the Spirit of God. Can I just say that as I was studying this week, I was thinking about what it means to be full of the Spirit. We're going to look at this more. I was like, wow, could we find seven people in our church today that are full of the Spirit like this? I'm not even sure I'm full of the Spirit like that. In fact, I'm pretty sure I'm probably not. I was convicted of this this week. Look, it says, Acts 6, 5, it says, and what they said pleased the whole gathering, and so they chose Stephen, get this, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Acts 6, 8, and Stephen, Stephen, Full of grace and power. Read, full of the Spirit, right? The Spirit of God is the power of God. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And he was doing great signs and wonders among the people. How? Because He was full of the Spirit. Acts 7.55, when he's being stoned to death. But full of the Spirit, Stephen gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. How is he able to do all this? Not in his own strength. It's because he is full of the power of the Spirit of God. Full of the Holy Spirit. The word full, I love that word full. It means abounding in. It means wholly occupied by, completely under the influence of. Stephen was a man who was abounding in the Holy Spirit. Stephen was a man who was wholly occupied by the Spirit of God. Stephen was a man who was completely under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And look what he does as a result of being full of the Spirit. Full of the Spirit, Stephen served those in need. Full of the Spirit, Stephen performed miraculous signs and wonders and preached boldly about Jesus. Full of the Spirit, Stephen boldly spoke about Jesus to his false accusers. Full of the Spirit, Stephen forgave his enemies in the face of being stoned to death. Full of the Spirit, Stephen had no fear in death. I think we can agree, in fact, I need somebody to make a motion, and I will second it, that Stephen was a man who was full of the Holy Spirit. Can we agree to that? All right. And this is how he was remembered. Right? As Luke, who's the author of the Gospel of Luke and who also wrote the the book of Acts, through the Spirit, he writes and says he was full of the Spirit. I think we get the message, right? That's what he's remembered for. And so this morning, I, I, my, my contention is, is that that is the best thing that you and I could be remembered as, as men and women, as a church that was just full of the Spirit. And so we're going to look at why is that the best thing to be remembered for and how can we too be full of the Spirit? All right, to answer that, we're going to shift gears and I want to invite you to turn over to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to look at one verse there. It's Ephesians 5 verse 18. And I'm going to give you the context in a second. But in Ephesians 5 18, here's what it says. Paul the apostle says this: and do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Boy, debauch—say debauchery, debauchery. Right, that's a fun word to say. We don't use that word much. It, think out of control living. Right? Actually, the word there is, is the word of the prodigal son, right? It's, it, think prodigal son. He wanted his now. Give me my inheritance now. And so he took his inheritance and he goes and he lives and indulges all of his fleshly desires and, and he eats and drinks and, as if today is the last day and, and he just indulges his flesh. He gets drunk. He loses all his money. He comes to the end of himself and he's eating pig food. That's what debauchery is, out-of-control living. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to out-of-control living. But be filled with the Spirit. Be filled is a commandment. We're commanded not to get drunk and live out of control, but we're we're also commanded to be filled with the Spirit. Or, I love it, it's, it's it's be being filled with the Spirit. It's keep on being filled with the Spirit. They say, well, why do we need to do that? Okay, well, let's let's look at the context here in Ephesians briefly. Paul is speaking to the Ephesians and and in chapter one, verses three and four, he says this. God chose us Christians church in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him. God chose us to be holy and blameless before him. And and then look, if you skip over to chapter 4, verse 1, it says, okay, what does holy living look like? It looks like walking in a manner worthy of your calling, chapter 4, verse 1. If you go to chapter 5, verse 1 in Ephesians, walk in love. Walk as children of light, not children of darkness, And then he says further down, be careful how you walk, not getting drunk on alcohol, not getting drunk on wine or beer, you know, not living out of control lives, but keep being filled with the spirit. Keep on being filled so that we can live as holy people, as people that love God, that people that don't walk in the darkness, but walk in the light. That's why we need to keep on being filled with the Spirit so we can be the people God's called us to be. If you, if you go over to Galatians 5, and 23, we see the fruit of the Spirit there. It says, Here, here's the marks of the Spirit-filled Christian. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. Like against these things, there is no law, right? There's no limit to these. And so to be full of the Spirit means we are full of the Spirit so that we look and act like God. That we're holy. That we're righteous. That we we conduct ourselves like Jesus. We love God. We love others. That's what it means to live a Spirit-filled life. And can you think of anything else better to be remembered as than being full of the Spirit? I mean, like, man, what, what are they going to say about you after you die? Like, wow, they had a lot of money or, wow, they really, you know, were really good at writing books or they were really good at being a teacher or whatever it might be. Man, I, I hope they tell me, say about me, like, wow, he was a man that just, he was like Jesus. He was so full of the spirit. I just, like, I wanted to be like Jesus because of him. You know, there, there have been a few people in my life, Not not a lot of them, but a few people that when I have come in contact with them and, and encountered them and spent time with them, they made me want to be like Jesus. Do you know people like that? just this week, I was on a Zoom call with a bunch of pastors. It, uh, it was a preaching today Zoom call, and they're talking about, hey, how are you going to pivot your summer series to speak about COVID? And anyhow, so thinking about that, and, and I didn't know who was on the call. All we could see were the host, And then they said, hey, let's hear from some people that are on the call with us. And so then there's this guy that got on the call that was a friend of Jennifer and ours from college. His name's Ken Shigematsu. Ken's a, a pastor up in Vancouver, Canada. And, and so they interviewed Ken briefly. And, and I just I have to tell you, like Ken is one of those people that when I hear from him or when I'm near him, I'm like, I feel like I want to be more like Jesus because of him. And he just spoke for a few minutes on a zoom call. And after that zoom call, I'm like, wow, I want to know and love Jesus more. And I'm like, I have to believe it's because Ken is a man who wants to be full of the spirit and is living dependent upon the spirit of God. Is that how people feel and respond to you when they're with you? They want to be more like God because of your life and you're so full of the Spirit? So if we receive the Spirit, then at conversion, if the Spirit of God is what changes us when, and transforms us and makes us new people, if we get the Spirit, Ephesians says that we're sealed with the Spirit when we became Christians, that, then why do we have to keep on being filled with the Spirit? Why Don't we have the Spirit already? Well, I think we need to understand this one time Jennifer and I were away on a short vacation and we had a couple stay with our kids and so they were at our house for a while and while we were gone and and they saw that the grass needed to be mowed and so the guy that was there actually it was our former worship pastor that was staying with our kids so he said I'm going to cut the grass. So he we went ahead and cut it. Anyhow, we come back afterwards and said, hey, how'd it go? How was it? Everything was good. It's like, yeah, thanks for cutting the grass. He's like, hey, by the way, when I was cutting your lawn, like you're, something's wrong with your lawnmower. Like it was super difficult to cut your grass. Like it was like pushing uphill both ways. Right, and so I'm like, "What are you talking about? Like, there's nothing wrong with a lawnmower. It's like all you do is you pull the cord, boom, it starts, right? And then you, you know, you get ready to go, and you grab the lever underneath the handle, and you pull that, and that engages the self propelled mower, and it's just like, the thing takes off, and you just have to run along behind. He's like, "What are you talking about? Like, like, wh- what do you mean self propelled? He's like, there is no." And I'm like, yeah, there's a, s-. And, and so he realized he did not grab the handle and engage the self-propelled mower. Like he pushed the thing on his own efforts. Isn't that what we do so often as Christians? that we live this life in our own strength. We, we try to do the things that we're called to do in our own strengths and efforts. And, and the whole time, all we have to do is engage the spirit of God and depend on the spirit of God to have the strength and the power that's already fully available to us. I mean, God's word says we've, we've been given all that we need for life and godliness already. But we just don't depend on the Lord Daily to be filled with the Spirit. And so I wonder, why is, why doesn't my life have more fruit? And, and why isn't there more fruit in, in our church? And why isn't there more going on in our, in our marriages and in, in our homes? And why don't we see more? It's like, I have to believe it's because we're just not depending upon the Spirit of God fully. We're living in our own strength and effort. I think this is the problem with the church in America today. The church in America, we are depending on our own strengths and efforts, and we are not full of the Spirit. And as a result, we are not seeing the fruit and the evidence of that. And it's like, man, God, would you you forgive us? God, would you help us to depend upon you fully? Would you help us to be full of the Spirit? Oh, church, we need this. I need this in my life. We need this pathway. And so how do we keep on being filled with the Spirit? How does that work? I want to give us five things this morning. I mean, just five ways. There's probably others, but here's five ways to keep on being filled with the Spirit so that when when, when people look back at our lives, they can say, you know, what do you remember most about him or her? And they say, wow, he was full of the Spirit. She was so full of the Spirit. And so here they are, five practices to keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Are you, are you still with me? All right. First is this. Ask God to fill you with his Spirit. This is not rocket science, right? You're like, oh, that's kind of an obvious thing. But, but I don't do that every day. In fact, I, I have to be reminded to do this. You know, Jesus teaches on prayer. They say, okay, disciples, how, teach us to pray, Jesus. And in Luke chapter 11, after he teaches them the Lord's Prayer, then he says after that, he says, here's the thing. You know, I want you to ask. Ask me. like, And you'll receive. Seek. And you'll find knock, and the door's going to be open to you. And I'm like, wow, I love that. Like, I can ask God anything. He's going to give it to me. I can knock. He's going to show me where to go. I I can seek, and he's going to... But then what you realize, he's just not like saying, hey, here's a a free pass to ask for anything and everything, and you're going to get it all. That's not what he's saying. If you look at the end there in Luke 11, he actually is saying that what he's talking about that we need to ask for and seek him for and knock for is the Spirit of God. He's like, God wants to give us his spirit. God's spirit. He, he, God, the Father, Son, and Spirit. The Spirit wants to come. Like It's, a, it's another way of saying, God, I want to know you more. I want to know your presence more. I want to know you, God. I mean, it's just another way of saying, God, would you reveal more of yourself to me? We have to ask him to do this. He wants us to ask because we need this. Oh, we need this spirit of God. Would you come and fill us spirit of God? Would you help us to know you more? Would you help us to know you God? We need to ask him this. We need to seek God for this five practices to keep on being filled with the Spirit. The first is to ask God to fill you with your Spirit. Would you ask God this week, maybe every day this week, would you start your day and throughout your day to say, God, would you fill me with your Spirit? Here's the second one. Read the Bible and obey it. here's Here's a trivia question for you. Who wrote the Bible, right? This is a tough one. Who wrote the Bible? God did, right? Well, actually, what's interesting is there's a couple places, First Timothy 3, 1 Peter it talks about well, actually the spirit of God. God, the spirit is, is the one that penned the words through these authors, these human authors. The spirit of God led them to write these very words. So you're like, hey, what is the spirit telling me to do today? What does the Spirit want me to do? Like, I need the Spirit to tell me something. You know what? Right here. This is where we find out what the Spirit has to say to us in this book, the Bible. Some people are like, well, I want a new revelation from the Spirit. Like, give me a new word from the Spirit. Well, how about listening to this word from the Spirit and obeying this word? The Spirit of God is is a person, just like God the Father and the Son. Let me let me ask you this: If your spouse, if if you parent, if your child, if your friend who's close to you, if they said to you, "Hey, I want you to do this for me," would you do this for me? Hey, I need you to do this for me. Would you do this for me? You're like, nah, no thanks. I'm not going to do that. Maybe just ignore them. Maybe you just say, no, I'm not doing it. Maybe maybe you're just like belligerent. Maybe you're just like, nah, I don't. It doesn't even go in. It's just one ear out the other, right? and you don't obey what they're asking you to do, you don't do what they're asking, how do you think that will affect your relationship with them? How do you think that will affect the relationship if somebody else is asking you repeatedly to do something and you repeatedly don't do it? It's going to create a division in that relationship. Actually, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, it says, don't grieve the Spirit of God for whom you're sealed for the day of redemption. When we disobey God's word, when we disobey his commandments to us, listen, we grieve the spirit of God. I I think the reason that we're not full of the spirit is because we're we're not obeying the word of God that has already been revealed to us. We're only on the second one here. (laughs) Ask God to fill you with his spirit and read the Bible and obey it. There are five practices to keep on being filled with the Spirit. Here's the third one. Yield your life to the influence of the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 5.18, we read this verse earlier. It says, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. So, So if you get drunk, hopefully you're not getting drunk. But if you get drunk, what happens is that you are no longer living under the control of your own right mind. You're no longer sober-minded. You're now living under the influence, right? DUI, under the influence of alcohol. You have yielded your person to this foreign substance, alcohol, and you are now letting alcohol control your actions and your words. You've yielded willingly to that by taking a drink and continuing to drink. Now, I'm not saying you can't ever have a drink. I mean, that's but but to get drunk is a sin. It is disobedience. And, and when we do that, we are disobeying God. We're yielding to the influence of alcohol. But but it's like saying, okay, here's the parallel. Don't do that, but do this. Be under the influence of the Spirit of God. Keep yielding to the influence of the Spirit of God in your life. To be under the influence of the Holy Spirit means you give complete control to God's Spirit. Romans 8, 14. Just read this with our worship team before we started this morning. It says, all who are led by the Spirit of God, listen to this, are sons of God, are daughters of God. Are you being led by the Spirit of God in your day? Are you allowing God's Spirit to lead you and guide you? We need to yield. To the Spirit of God. Lord, I yield my plans to you. I yield my future to you. I yield my my relationships to you. I yield my, my dreams and hopes to you. I yield my job to you. I yield my money to you. I yield my time to you. Like, like I yield, it's yours, Lord. I surrender it to you and, and Holy Spirit, would you lead me? Because here's the thing, when you when those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, but, but if you're not letting the Spirit of God lead you, if you're not doing what the Spirit of God is telling you to do, then you have to say, well, then are you a a son or a daughter of God? All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, are daughters of God. Stephen, a man full of the Spirit, is yielded fully. He's yielded his life to God. And that's what enabled him to face death without fear. Here's, Here's the fourth one. Five practices to keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Number five is to wait on God's Spirit. To wait on God's Spirit to fill us with His presence. I just have to say, man, this this of the five of these, this was the one that convicted me the most this week. Waiting on God. In Acts chapter 1, verse 4, Jesus said, hey, I'm going to ascend back to the Father. I'm going to send the Spirit to come to be your helper, to, to be help you be witnesses in all over the world. But here's what you need to do. You need to wait. So they waited, and they waited. And then finally, the Spirit came in power at Pentecost. And so they waited and prayed. We have to learn to wait. You know, the whole Bible, we could spend a long time looking at, at the Scriptures about this. It says, but... Be still before the Lord, the psalmist says, and wait patiently for him. Be still and wait. Or how about this? My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchmen wait for the morning. The watchmen would wait and they'd be on the lookout for enemy invasions and they were in, intently looking and waiting. And it's like my soul is intently looking and waiting for God, for his spirit to come, to be filled with his power, to, to see God. I mean, like waiting on God, just sitting and, and being still before him and just, God, I'm waiting on you in, my, in your presence. As a staff, we uh, just finished a book called "The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry." Man, that was that was a good book. It was convicting, wasn't it, Jason? And um, I, I highly recommend it. Right? It's uh, Mark Comer. He's a pastor in Portland. The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Uh, you got to read it. Anyhow, one of the things that stood out to me was there are not many times in my life. When I just am in silence and solitude with nothing else, my phone is in another room. It's turned off. I, I'm, I'm quiet. I'm, I'm in a space for, you know, just there's nothing else that can distract me. And I'm just quiet and I'm still and I'm just in the presence of God and I'm just waiting. I'm not asking him for anything in that moment. I, I'm not saying, God, I demand something of you. I'm not like, hey, I got it. I'm just listening and waiting. Can I just ask you, when was the last time you've done that? Maybe you've never done this. This week, I did it on Wednesday. I'm like, wow, I got to do this. And so I I was studying, and I just came out to the front here in the lobby, and the sun was coming in. The sun still shines in Chicago, doesn't it? Uh, Anyhow, the sun was shining in that day, and I sat there. And I don't know how long I sat there, but I tell you, after sitting there for a while and just sitting in God's presence, I mean, after that, the rest of my day even, and, and you could ask my wife, Jennifer, the rest of the week, there was just something. I was just less restless Rest less discontent. There was just like, wow, that was I need to do that more. Let me just say this. I think that God has brought COVID-19 for many purposes. Right. I don't know all the reasons why he has allowed COVID-19 at this time. Right. And yes, we want it to end. But I have to believe. Right. Like it's taken me just about two months to get to the place where I'm sheltering in place and I'm still trying to be busy and do stuff and keep active. and, And and like finally, the Lord is just saying, like, slow down. And wait on me. And be still. And listen to what I have to say to you. Man, it took two months of that. I mean, like, I think if if coming out of this, COVID-19, if we as the church can learn to say, you know what? I'm done with the hurry and the hustle bustle and the rushing here and there and and being attached to my phone and letting the phone tell me what to do. And like, I can't stop looking at it. And I'm just going to learn how to wait on God. Like, wow, imagine what God might do with us. How he might fill us. You can do this alone. We can do this as we pray together as a group learning. Maybe our groups could learn how to wait on God together. And we pray and then we wait and then we listen and we hear what God has to say to us. Lord, would you help us as a church to wait on you? Would you teach me and teach us how to wait on your spirit? We need this. And here's the the last thing. Five practices to keep on being filled with the spirit. Are you still there? Here it is. This is rocket science. Keep on being filled with the spirit. Keep on doing it. Like, don't just say, okay, I'm going to do these things once. Right. I'm going to I'm going to ask once I'm going to obey once I'm going to yield once I'm going to wait once and then I'm on to the next thing. No, it's like learn how to make this a daily practice, a daily habit so that every day we're doing these things so that it becomes a lifestyle for us as a church, so that we learn how to keep on being filled with the spirit, like like imagine the power and the presence of God we'd experience if we learn how to do this together as a church. Imagine what God might do in us. Man, that just gets me so excited to think about what God could do if we learn how to do this together. We have to be honest though, right? I think as a church, I think as individuals, we're guilty of grieving the Spirit of God. Imagine you, you take a friend on an errand with you. Maybe uh, we used to do this, right, in, in, the, in the good old days, right? You could go out with people to the store. Anyhow, imagine you take a friend with you to the grocery store. Or maybe you go somewhere in public and, and you're taking them with you. And then you meet somebody famous, like the mayor or the, you know, a congressman or woman or somebody that's well-known. And, and all of a sudden, you start talking with that person and you start engaging with that person. And, and you're so excited to talk with them. And, and you ignore completely your friend who you brought with you. You don't introduce them to this person. You don't recognize them. You don't acknowledge them, and you just go on after you meet that person, and you go on your way. And that person standing there, like, uh, "Hello, I was right there with you. You didn't even acknowledge me." You know that—that's what happens in my life and in ours when we go throughout our days. The Spirit of God is with us, but we don't acknowledge the Spirit. We don't listen to the Spirit. We don't speak of the Spirit or, or, or the things the Spirit wants us to speak of, which is Jesus. And we grieve the Spirit. Oh, Lord, would you help us to be full of your Spirit? And we need your forgiveness for grieving you. God, please forgive us. Hope resurrected means we can be filled with the Spirit of God today. And the good news is that God can forgive us. God can help us. He can give us the grace we need to depend upon the Spirit again today and to start fresh today. And so I'm going to invite the the team to come. Cheryl's going to come and play. And, And I just want to encourage you right where you're at at home this morning. Listen, if you're willing to do this right where you're at at home, Would you consider even getting down on your knees, humbling yourself before God and just saying, God, would you forgive us for grieving you? Would you forgive us for not listening and and acknowledging you? And would you help us to be filled with your spirit? Would you help us to put these practices into our daily lives? Would you consider doing that right now? Just get down on your knees right where you're at. Just humble yourself before God and let me pray for us Lord I know even this week as you were speaking to my heart that you convicted me God you convicted me that I depend upon my own strength and flesh far too much And, Father, I ask your forgiveness, and I know you forgive me for that, but I pray the same for my brothers and sisters this morning. Would you forgive us as a church for depending upon our own strength, upon our own efforts? Please forgive us, Jesus. Thank you for your grace. And, God, would you give in us a desire to depend upon you, to seek you, to say I want to be filled with the spirit I want your your spirit to fill me today and tomorrow and this week would you help us to put these practices into place would you help us to to live this out this week would you help us to become a church that, that is full of the spirit that people would say man that pathway man, that pathway church they are so full of God's spirit like they love God so much Jesus we need your help can't do this in our own strength. That's not how you want us to live this life. And so would you humble us? And would you mold us and shape us into spirit-filled people? May it start with me. In Jesus' name.